Welcome to Shared Instance, a podcast on iOS development by three iOS developers in Cincinnati, Ohio. I'm Sam Corder. I'm Alex Argo. And I'm Alex Robinson. This is episode 41. Well, guys, looks like uh got some big news this week, but uh got a couple things to start off the episode with. Our uh, Buy a Cow campaign is uh, off to a good start. I want to thank especially... Yono Middlefelt, as well as the anonymous donors that we've had. I'll have it in the show notes again where people can go to d- donate. And we're going to wrap this up by Christmas time. So this will be the last, maybe last time, second to last time before you, that we talk about this again. Yeah, I think we'll have one more episode after this before the holidays or year end. So also, Coming up, we've got the Hour of Code. Have you guys heard about this? I just recently heard about it. It's part of the Computer Science Education Week, uh, which is from December 7th through the 13th. And uh, it's part of an initiative started by Code.org to get kids of all ages exposed to programming and computer science. Uh, so the idea is one hour Anytime this week, get students across the the globe to do some coding. And I think last year they, I'll have to double check the numbers, but I think they got maybe 15 million students. I think the website says they've had like over 100, 100 million. I looked into what they actually have you doing for an hour. Uh, and they basically have a bunch of like, they're almost like games where you can click on stuff to autocomplete code and even type in some. It's all JavaScript, so that's kind of the bummer. Well, um, it's, yeah, it, I think a lot of the tools are actually visual programming yeah. blocks on top of JavaScript. So yep. initially, the kids don't even have to do JavaScript. So if, if you've seen something like Scratch before, the visual programming environment, it's similar to that. Yeah, and they've got a bunch of, they're all like little themed uh, things that they're having you do. Like last year I saw there's a Frozen one, there's a Flappy Bird one, uh Angry Birds one. I think this year there's a Star Wars like Drive Around BB-8 one. Yep. I'm sure there's other and, cool fun yeah, ones. There's probably one of the popular ones is going to be the, the Minecraft game. Uh, one of the main developers from Mojang kicks off the tutorial. So I I think the kids are really going to like that. Yeah, that sounds pretty cool. It's uh, it's too bad we didn't uh, cover this last week. Yeah, so by the time this episode airs, we'll be near the end of Computer Science Education Week. Uh, But even even Apple's hosting Hour of Code events in their stores across the, the globe. And in some locations, they've got some celebrity tutors coming in to, to help out <laughs> celebrity developers yeah so yeah. we're going to know who they are but nobody else will the kids might not know <laughs> but they, they might recognize some of the apps that they've worked on uh, but last time i checked i think by the time this episode airs that those slots for our code are going to be filled out but and nothing stopping you from going to code.org or um, going there with your kids and 
doing an hour of code at home. Yeah, it's not like the website's going to go down after this no, week. Yeah, and code.org's been around for a while. They've they have lots of tutorials and links to resources to help kids program, and some of them don't even really require your kids to be old enough to read. Like we did the Flappy Birds one uh, with with a group, and my youngest was able to do the Flappy Bird programming, uh, just kind of following along the instructions and visually laying out the code and he had a blast with it yeah and scratch is a very cool tool as well yeah lots of uh really nice tools for kids to get into programming and that we didn't have when we were kids <laughs> hey i had a magazine that i could type in code from yeah yeah oh i would actually go to the bookstore and buy code books and go home and type the, the code in and hope i didn't mess up a line yeah because when you're seven years old and you're like, what does syntax error mean? <laughs> <laughs> I think I missed out on some of those, some of that fun. I always had like bulletin boards at least that I could get stuff from. <laughs> yeah. I don't think we had an interactive debugger, at least nothing visual. No. Yeah. But you know, it was, it was fun. Yeah. Actually it, it, it turned me off from programming early on and I didn't get back to it till later in high school and you didn't necessarily get that immediate feedback um, where some of these tools you can see right away things happening on the screen you know part of the point behind the whole hour of code is pretty much any job in the future is going to require using a computer and being able to understand um, the concept of coding and computational thinking is important and Computational thinking doesn't necessarily mean it has to be on the computer. They even have some exercises you can do outside uh, with just paper and pencil and, and things around the house. So, you know, things like sorting algorithms and such. The kids have it so much easier these days than we did. <laughs> <laughs> the odds are there's some school or... Uh, organization near you that's participating in Hour of Code, so check it out. Yep, definitely. One other thing I was noticing uh, this week is I don't know if you guys have ever search for your apps just to kind of get an ego boost or whatever, um, but a lot of apps, if you've been searching for them on Google, the search results always show one star. It's been going on for a couple weeks. Have you guys noticed that? Yeah, we've uh, it's come up a few times um, at work and as well as for us when we're looking at some of our apps of the week and looking googling them first you know initially they come back with one one star reviews and the results which then once you actually go to the iTunes page for it it's that's not the case yeah it's kind of annoying and it's a very convenient it turns out looks like it's a bug as what Google says at least but it's a very convenient bug for them <laughs> oh whoops all the iOS apps look yeah. like they have one star but ours look like they have normal numbers of stars I guess I guess it only happens though when you don't have enough uh, reviews to show reviews for that specific version and it's showing like the average uh, but it seems odd that the, that the fallback is oh just show that there's only one star whoops <laughs> Yeah, well, I think iTunes shows the, an average, right? Like, it's right. usually around three or something. But Google, Google's just saying, nope, not enough. One star. Yeah, something, something along that. that. That's what the bug's related to. So, 
they said they're going to fix it uh in there or at least someone in their like search community thing we can put a link in the show notes but uh if that's been bugging you too, hopefully that'll be fixed by the time the episode's out or maybe afterwards, because I don't think Google has much incentive to fix it, but. <laughs> <laughs> well, they have a December code freeze. <laughs> okay. So when everybody's whipping out their new Christmas iPhones and looking for apps, they'll find all these one-star apps and then take their phones back. That's that's the nefarious goal right there. <laughs> and we also got an update from CocoConf on their 2016 conference tour uh, with location and dates. So they've got five locations coming up next year. Um, if you haven't been to a GoGoConf, they tend to be really great small conferences that travel to different cities so that you can usually find one not too far away from you in the U.S. So what do we got? Chicago, Austin, Seattle, Washington, D.C., and San Jose pretty good yeah i think it's a smaller number than last year i know and they usually stopped over in ohio at least and maybe a few other places but um like boston and and uh i think they had a at least one other location so they've scaled back a little bit this year but that's not necessarily a bad thing let's see anything else big happened this week uh, no, I don't know. Did we get a new Apple TV beta or something like that? <laughs> Maybe a little something for Linux. I'm sure somebody released something on Linux. Yeah, we finally got our open source Swift and a little bit more than what we were originally expecting. Yeah, more than I was expecting for sure. Way, way more. But that's what Apple does, right? Yeah. Well, like yeah. their existing or op- open source stuff is they basically just do a source code dump on like open source.apple.com and they say, all right, have fun with this, whatever, see you later. And what we actually got was they, uh, you That's... could see every single commit. They, yeah. they, maybe they've been using like the GitHub for enterprise internally and they just like threw it out there. It's public. Uh, you can, you can see the first commit that Chris Latner made. Just like a int main or whatever <laughs> from like four or five years ago. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Well, they, they probably were just using Git and then just pushed the whole history up there. Yeah. But it's, it's cool. <laughs> it's, a, it's a rather large repository if you try to clone it to like 180 megabytes or something. But you're also looking at several years of commits. I, I, um, I tried to find. The pages where it was leading up to Swift's announcement just to see if there was any, like, oh, we gotta hack this together for the dub, for dub dub comments or anything. Couldn't find a one. And I found where it was at. It's around, currently it's around like page 200 or so. And it's all very professional commits. <laughs> I was disappointed. <laughs> Cause you know, sometimes companies will that leak their commit history like that. There's some snarky people in there, maybe. Yeah, and there's been a few companies get in trouble for comments made with their source code. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Big companies. So, yeah. And yeah, Apple, I, I think they knew going in that they would want to open source this. Uh, Apple had something on, I don't know if it was an email or on their website, but 
talked about how they were one of the first major computer companies to get involved in open source. And of course, I got trolled by the uh, Android developers, <laughs> you know, getting snarky about it. Did you tell them that Google wasn't major back then? I think. No. <laughs> Well, I think I think they thought it was in reference to Swift, and it really has more to do with you know stuff that was done at Next Step, and uh, Apple's been involved in Darwin and LLDB, LLVM, um, WebKit, the G- GCC WebKit. I mean, it's Lots they do stuff. have a surprisingly large amount of open source contributions that um, that they probably don't get credit for as much as they should, but. I, I could I can understand why they were, would get a little snarky with Apple's. Uh, it, they tend to have this grandiose way of saying things. Well, f- a lot of it was like AAPL, which probably just barely met the OSI, the OSI or whatever the open source definition, and it was usually like a one way street. Like here's some source code. Yeah, although I mean. Some cases it wasn't like uh, I'm pretty sure like LLVM and all that stuff uh, people can contribute back to. I know for sure WebKit is a pretty active thing until Google decided that they wanted to do their own stuff. But I mean they were contributing a bunch to it too. Right. Well, they took basically something and forked it and made WebKit. Right. Yeah. I think that's true of a lot of the open source projects. There's probably a few, from Apple, I mean, but there's probably a few that Apple started from scratch as well, Swift obviously being one, but, and I, I think probably some of the stuff from Next Step. So related to that, Apple's, in addition to open sourcing Swift, they've also are open sourcing some a set of core libraries to go along with it. And, I, you know, am I reading this wrong? Is this basically Apple saying we're going to, port foundation and a lot of the stuff legacy stuff we have in in uh objective c over to swift no nope, that's exactly what they did i mean it, they have a swift core Loops foundation it's one of the like five or six like project like actual project repositories that just randomly got released uh it's it's not near complete um but they've got a good good start there and in a lot of ways, making it more Swift-like, getting rid of the NS prefix, which will take maybe a little bit of adjustment, um, making some of the function calls less verbose. So it should, uh, should be a good thing. I don't know when we'll see that find its way back into a regular iOS development and, and uh, Mac development. Well, I think it's supposed to be part of Swift 3 which is supposed to be released fall of next year. Okay, so around the time of iOS 10, iOS yeah. X. I wonder if that means... So there's there's two things they have going on now. There's Swift 2.2, and there's... Which is just like the Apple slash Swift repository, I believe, on on their GitHub account. And then there's the Swift Evolution, which is 3.0, and the... Foundation stuff is targeted to build against that. So what's Swift Evolution? Swift Evolution is basically just Swift 3. And that's also where people can make proposals and yeah, they've review got all kinds the proposals of... that are out there. 
Yeah, well, it's... Yeah, I guess you're right. It's not... There's no code for Swift there. Uh, it's it's all about the process and what the proposals are. So it's kind of cool uh, just going in and reading, like, there's some internal proposals that they've uh, gone through. Maybe they just did this to kind of let us see how they wanted things to work. I, I did notice that the proposal number two is to remove currying from the language. I know I know one of you two was, was kind of pumped about currying at one point. I don't think it's removing currying completely. I think it's removing it, aspects of it. I, a lot of these proposals are for simplifying the language, like getting rid of the uh, plus plus and minus minus operator in favor of just using plus equals and minus equals, you know, thinking that that's, um, you know, having too many ways of doing the same thing is unnecessary and just complicates the language. Uh, related to that, Erica Sadoon recommended getting rid of the uh, for loop in, in favor of the uh, for in loop um, because the standard C style for loop is probably your primary use case for the plus plus minus minus operators. Which are already being removed in Swift 3. Right. So Wonder. is that a definite that they're going to go away? I think the plus plus minus minus and a few other things are definite. Removing the the C style for loop yeah, that is, is a proposal. The hmm. Remove the plus plus and minus minus operators is a proposal that was created by Chris Latner. It's number four and it has been accepted reviewed and accepted and all that stuff. So that one is definitely in there. And this one's number seven. I mean, they've yeah. got a bunch of examples. They basically just say, use the, the foreign, and, you know, you just do your zero dot dot less than whatever the number you want. It's essentially the same thing. And if you were doing other crazy stuff with your for loops, maybe you should just be using a while loop. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's interesting. I, I mean, I can't tell you the last time I wrote one of those old C style for loops. But, right. <laughs> but the, the gut reaction for me is like, Hey, you're taking something away. And I hate that. And it's, I have to, it's hard to look past. Yeah. And People don't like getting stuff taken away from them. Well, it means there's probably going to be code that breaks, but it'll probably be pretty easy to fix. And we, we're starting to get used to, uh, swift changes to have massive breaking changes. <laughs> That was supposed to slow down with a 2.0 release. That's what I was hoping. <laughs> but yeah, it doesn't well, look like it. Now they're saying that Swift 3 is supposed to have, like, forward application binary compatibility. It seems like they all they say that every version. So I'm kind of skeptical that we'll ever get a version that doesn't keep evolving. Although maybe they'll slow down at some point. I mean, and I was... It's kind of, like, discouraged me a little bit from wanting to do more Swift. It's like, all right, so... Swift 1, 1 was the old stuff, and Swift 2, it was the new thing. And then, oh, wait, just kidding. Swift 2's, you're writing a bunch of legacy code now, all the people who are doing Swift <laughs> apps, and you're going to have to redo everything. Hopefully, Apple has some good mi migration tools. But yeah, it's kind of, I'm like, I should probably do some Swift stuff, but I don't know. It's like, they keep changing. I just want to wait until it's stable. I don't have time to mess around with all this constantly changing stuff <laughs> well it, it makes it hard to even propose to other people and for other platforms right 
Yeah. Yes, yes, we have a Linux x86 port now, but who's going to jump on that if they know they're writing legacy code from day one? Word. And those source translators, that's a, probably just an Xcode thing, not a command line deal. Yeah, you never know, but yeah, you're probably right. Rereading the uh, change to occurring, it does look like you're right, that they're removing the curried function syntax completely. Wow. Um, which, to be honest, I've, it's not a feature I've ever used, and I think it does add some conceptual overhead, if nothing else. I still uh, don't know what the heck it was, so... <laughs> uh, well, you understand curried functions, right? No, not really. Oh, no? I thought I did, but... No. Yeah, it's been a while. I probably did it in college one time, but... <laughs> I think of it, a couple ways to think about it is a partially implemented function. Um, let's say a function that you would have written that has multiple parameters. You kind of break those up to functions that each have a single parameter. And you can partially apply uh, those parameters in. There's definitely better definitions out there, but... It does take a while to get used to, and it's yeah. something that was just kind of there. And I know there's there's a few people out there that have taken advantage of that. I think Argo, uh, one of the JSON parsers, uses that heavily. And I think they're going to be very uh, upset with this change. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I haven't heard anything out of their out of that podcast lately. Uh, was it Gordon? And I'd always mess up his last name, Fontana. Fontenot? Yeah. He's the primary author behind Argo. And I know he was talking about a lot, too, in their podcast that Swift 2 just kind of changed up a lot of stuff that didn't make Argo or made Argo not make a lot of sense at that point if they were going to make it Swift 2 capable. Oh, yeah, and it looks like they definitely accepted it. So, yeah, it's, it's see you later, Curring. So what's another <laughs> language that has Curring? Oh, yeah, most of your other functional ones. Because I've done other functional languages, but I I may have done Curring and I just didn't realize I was doing it. I don't know. Does, like, Lisp have it, or...? I have to resort to Google for that. All right. (laughs) But it is somewhat of a fundamental functional programming concept. Yeah. I think when I was first introduced to it in Swift, it sounded like a very cool thing. And then I struggled to find practical uses for it. I'm oh. sure there's plenty of them out there. It's just uh, there were other ways of accomplishing the same thing. Yep. That I never had to result result to resort. Sorry, to occurring uh, functions. Yeah, I'm looking at some examples, and it just seems like something that all right. That seems kind of like a, a tricky way to do thing. It seems like like how a something a Python programmer would do or something. <laughs> <laughs> No, Python's really succinct and easy to read. Oh, I meant, sorry, I meant Perl. Yeah. yeah. It starts with a P. Strike <laughs> that. Perl, it, yeah, it looks whatever. like something that a, a Perl programmer would do. <laughs> but it, interestingly, I, now I don't know how true this is, but what I heard was that objects in, uh, like method calls inside Swift are really just curried functions where the self parameter is getting tossed in alongside. So I, I can't speak to the veracity of that statement, but it makes a lot of sense. You know, the, the implicit self being passed in, it's just a curried function on, an, on a uh, class definition. Yeah. So, bye-bye 
binary compatibility there because they're going to change all that up. Well, maybe they'll leave that special case in there. Well, this is 3.02, so do you, <laughs> you expect breaking changes at that point? Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know if the rate that Swift has changed, I don't know if I would ever expect an, as many breaking changes as, as we're getting with these version numbers. Like, I'm just thinking back to Java, and I but guess... Java I guess, is probably the worst example, because they're not even on 2.0 yet. Yeah, I, they they started calling them, like, Java 5.6.7, but it's really just, like, one... One didn't, dot. Yeah. Didn't they change to actually call it, like, Java 6 or Java 5? around 4 or 5 and stop calling it 1.2, 1.34. I thought 1.2 they started calling it Java 2. Yeah, 1.2 is when they started calling it Java 2, but in terms of the numbering scheme, I, I don't know if that ever changed. No, it's still 1.8's the latest. And they call they it Java 8. They still call it that? Yeah. But I think, you know, Josh, uh, Josh Block, um, who was one of the main API designers there was very uh, had a very strong control over managing um, changes to the language and you know he was very don't want to make it sound bad in a good way he was kind of headstrong about not adding new keywords and and making things you know fairly non-breaking uh, as as you added new features. Well, I mean, there's a lot of value to that because we're sitting yeah. here complaining about it now in Swift. I mean, that's something <laughs> yeah. that, that even Microsoft uh, is known for. I mean, that's it, there's issues with it because, you know, like 10, 20 years down the line, you're stuck with this Windows stuff that has all, these le- all this legacy cruft from, you know, supporting the Windows 95, Windows 3.1 stuff. It's still there. And Java, you have the same issue. I mean, like generics, the type information with them still, I don't think, is compiled in the in the binaries that you produce. Dot .NET uh, generics are, but not Java. Yeah, Java, they're, they're still not reified. And that's, they introduced generics in like Java 1.5, yeah. So it, there's, there's downsides to, to having that mindset too, but... Yeah. If you want to keep a bunch of people, like if they want to be the next big language that, you know, like you had COBOL and Java is the new COBOL now. If they want to be like the new Java or whatever, like the thing that everyone writes everything in in 10 years or whatever. I don't know if you can keep changing this much. It's going to have to settle down at some point. Yeah. And it's interesting that more than half of the proposals that are out there right now, and there's only seven of them. Yeah. That are listed, but more than half of them are removing features. Yeah, true. <laughs> Simplify. Yeah, and I, I think that's a good thing. Simplifying the language mm-hmm. where it makes sense. I mean, we, you know, in a way, Objective C had a lot has a lot of baggage because it was trying to be consistent with C. Um, you know, you know that that is. The history of a lot of languages in order to get new developers onto the language you try and be consistent with the the popular language of the previous years uh, so you bring in some baggage syntactically um, with that new language just to make developers moving over more comfortable uh, and then you start adding new features and you start creating a relatively complex language 
It, now all you have to do is be the number one mobile phone in the industry. Yeah. You can make any language you want. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and Google can make several languages. <laughs> They'll settle on one eventually. Eventually, yeah. But, I mean, every language, you know, languages have their pros and cons. I, You know, I, I do think if they're able to simplify the language, that's that's great. You know, I, I think Java was really good at being, making sure that they were backwards compatible and, you know, the, the bytecode was consistent across every version. Uh, but it also meant new features took a long time to get in there. And, you know, C++ got blocks before Java did. Well, it didn't help, too, that Sun was pretty much going through bankruptcy at yeah. that point in time. I don't know. I, I think to some degree, Swift is still trying to figure out what it wants to be when it grows up. You know, does it want to be a functional language? <laughs> does it want to be, you know, it's, and, you know, they, they've got to interoperate with C and Objective-C and that means compromises. So I don't know. I, I'm hoping that the changes slow down. Right. You know, I don't necessarily care if they add new functionality, new capabilities, but you know, I'd like the code to not, you know, the changes not to yield hundreds of compiler errors every time I upgrade Xcode. <laughs> yeah, the thing I want, and it's a riff on the thing that we keep saying that we we want, which is uh, UX kit. I want I want that like a UI kit based UI framework that'll run on Linux and Mac OS X, and then someone else can port it to Windows if they want. That probably won't ever happen. <laughs> I I kind of hope it doesn't, really. Oh, haters! <laughs> and you know, while we're talking about some of that, you know, cross-platform compatibility, you know, we kind of alluded to it, but this did also include a port for Linux as well. Uh, so we may very well see some some Swift-based server-side frameworks and platforms come out well we've seen some already yeah what's and it perfect isn't is one yeah. perfect.org yeah and you know it kind of feels a little bit like uh you know in its early stages kind of like an http server app server type of thing um you know they use fast cgi it's it's not necessarily what i was expecting yet i was kind of expecting Something like an Express.js in Swift. And I think that's probably still something we'll see. Yeah, this is it's still early days for this project. Yeah. I wouldn't go out porting my website to it yet. No, no. <laughs> but I you know, I th I think there's enough Swift programmers out there and you know, you got big companies like IBM who uh has committed to training a lot of their developers and working with their clients on on Swift-based applications, so I, I think we'll see a lot of server-side solutions come out. And Swift is, you know, even though it's evolving, I think it's definitely a, a good language, and lots of programmers know it now. So I don't know why you wouldn't uh, wouldn't see some server-side frameworks come along. No, definitely not. I mean, it's funny too. <laughs> it seems like every language that comes out that's open source has to have some kind of package manager, right? It's 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 
a prerequisite these days. Yeah, yeah. And because so, no application lives alone. You you don't want to reinvent the wheel for things like JSON parsing and such. So how do you how do you get those solutions uh, into your application? Yeah, and so Apple also released the Swift Package Manager, which hey, it's cool. I just hope they take it and Sherlock Cocoa Pods with it. Yeah, in I, June. I think a lot of the comments I've read is it's still fairly early days for that as well. Um, I think it feels a lot more like NPM for Node than a Cocoa Pods. You know, I, I almost feel like it's more tailored towards the web application or CLI uh, clients applications. Yeah, well, currently you can only build a static library with it. Yeah, but it, in order to define your dependencies, you create a package.swift, so you actually implement your your dependency definitions in a Swift file and use that to, to build your application. Although I think you can just have like an empty packages.swift and it'll just use all the defaults and, and build whatever is in your, lib is it your library is if it's fairly straightforward, which is kind of nice, I guess. You just need to touch the file and it'll be able to build the, mm. the library. Yeah, and I, I feel like they, you know, they took that convention from from the NPM because where you use a, a package.json. Mm -hmm. So here it's package.swift. Well, in CocoaPods, it, it's Ruby file. You can actually yeah. write Ruby code in there. Yeah. And it, so it could be fairly interesting. It seems a little bit more verbose, only slightly, than you know, doing a JSON file, but or or even the Ruby code. But I'm sure it'll evolve and but become Swift, more powerful. Swift doesn't make for the best of the DSLs. Well, and one thing that was also interesting I saw is that in the scope for future work is uh, letting the package manager uh, handle Objective-C and maybe like C stuff as well. So it's not just for Swift. Um, uh, here's hoping they get that ironed out by June. Yeah. And <laughs> Hope they sure lock the crap out of CocoaPods and Carthage. <laughs> yes. Integrated into Xcode so you have your dependencies managed there and and it plays nice with your your build system. Wait, is this the Christmas episode again? <laughs> <laughs> that would be nice. Yes. One thing I thought was interesting is the the guy who did Promise Kit, I think, MXCL on, on GitHub, uh, he looks like he got hired by Apple, and he's the one who is the maintainer of the Swift Package Manager. Well, I think it's all um, Matt Thompson listed in there as well. Yeah. And uh seemed like there was another person. But yeah, it, Apple didn't keep it all in house. It, I don't don't know. Well, are, is it? Are you sure it's not in house, or did they hire some of these people? Well, last I knew, Matt Thompson was at Panic. I don't know. He could have. That was been just recently, though. I mean, they don't normally. Apple doesn't say, "Hey, we just hired this person," and I'm guessing companies aren't like, "Oh, so and so just left us." But yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, Matt Thompson used to be very. Um, you know, he posted to NSipster all the time, and it used to be pretty easy to follow him. Then I think, you know, he kind of passed the torch along uh, for NS Hipster when he went to Panic. 
so I don't know. I, I, you, he may be at Apple now, or he may still be at Panic, or somewhere else. Hmm. Yeah, prior to that, wasn't he at Heroku for a while? Yeah, he was at Heroku. Um, he might have been at... Yeah, I think he did a lot of his open source projects while he was at Heroku. And I think there may have been a few other places along the way there, too. Well, they started him, wasn't it, when they did a Goala? Which... Yeah, Goala is <laughs> where uh, oh, yeah. AF Networking came from. Alamo Fire. Fire. Yep. And the Alamo Swift, Swift framework, too, is named after it. But Yeah, Alamo Fire. Yep. It's actually called Alamo Fire instead of just AF. Yep. Well, that was the company, the yep. original company that like owned yeah. Goala or created it or whatever. Right. And Matt, Matt Thompson does create some really nice stuff, and he's done a lot of command line applications in ruby so you know this is probably right up his alley and he's uh, he's actually spoken at wwdc before so yeah that was kind of random like he wasn't yeah, an apple yeah. employee and he got up to talk about stuff <laughs> yeah he's yeah. probably the only non-apple employee to have a session right at least There's a technical a one since then um there was at least one in some of the game development and i think uh oh, this last true. last couple of years there's been a few more guest speakers but yeah it was that was the first time i had seen a presenter that wasn't an apple employee and the session was really good i definitely recommend people go back and and take a look at that i, I think it's probably still fairly relevant i think it was like his favorite objective c um tips and tricks yeah, like a stump the jump kind of thing, wasn't it? Or is that no? That's later. It's a special. Yeah, that was. Yeah, it wasn't part of that session. It was just kind of here's here's a handful of cool things that you might not have known that you could do with Objective C. Okay. Which maybe that isn't that relevant anymore, <laughs> <laughs> given the the rise of Swift. Well, sometimes the the dub dub videos aren't even relevant by the time the product gets released. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, they they're still in development at, at that point. Yeah, lots of lots of things changed during the betas. Yeah. So, did you guys also try out the Swift sandbox that IBM has out there? I've printed out a Hello World from my cloud Swift sandbox, but that's that's all I've done. Yeah, I, I took a look at it. It it looks pretty nice. Uh, I don't know if you can uh, integrate like third-party component um, libraries or um, have resources available. But if you want to, you know, in terms of being able to play around with Swiss code in a web browser, it looks really good. Now, now you can yeah, write Swift so. on your iPad Pro, Alex. Yeah. <laughs> Finally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's probably got a timeout, though. So it'll probably only take, it'll execute for so long and then stop. <laughs> I know the Go one is, is like that, too. Yeah, it makes sense. If you write too long of a loop or something, it'll just kill your process. It does look nice. I'm sure. Kind of taking sandboxes to a different level. Yeah. yeah well, it's yeah, kind of like the a playground in the in the web browser. So if you, if you want... Uh, want to do a course on Swift and teach kids how to program, and, you know, this potentially could be a good option for them to be able to write their code in a browser and see it execute right away. 
mm-hmm. without even having to have a Mac or or um, Xcode installed. Hour of Code 2016 in Swift. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if you guys have ever checked out Go, but their website has a pretty nice tutorial to get started with it. And it's all like this where you they'll give you some they'll talk about some things and give you some problems and you can work through it online without ever having to install go and there's several um websites like that and if you go to code.org look through the resources there's a number of of sites that they link out to that are similar and give you little exercises to go through and you can program in the browser and and run it some of them are better than others yeah there's one that shows you how to use git there's like docker has one if you want to learn docker at all and Swift was always kind of a difficult thing because you either had to just write a parser and try and figure out if it's legitimate Swift code or have a Mac running so you could actually compile it. But now that Swift is open source and you can run on Linux, I mean, we, we might see more tools like this show up. Which is, you know, I don't, don't necessarily think it'll be very useful from a production standpoint, but from an education standpoint, I think it'll be very useful oh very yeah it'll be really cool i think and if this is any indication of how much ibm is backing swift i know it looks like it's like one guy's effort but still i don't think it's one guy i I, there is some it looks like they had early access as well because i saw some there are some comments in the git repositories from like a month before swift came out where they were asking a question to some apple employees so Hmm. Okay. So I don't think they just did this in like the day that Swift came out. We're like, oh, I know how to use Swift build and do all this stuff magically. I think they had been working on this. It's pretty polished for something that came out that it came out literally the day Swift came out, didn't it? Or maybe it was December third. I don't know if the yeah, timing lines up. Sounds right. So yeah, I mean IBM and Apple. Who would have thought, right? Um, IBM tends to have love affairs with their peers um, for a little while and then something always causes friction and they separate. (laughs) I expect the same will happen again in the future. So you're going to say we're going to have like a OS 2 for for Mac? I don't know. Um, We're going to have Swifter. (laughs) I mean, I, I know right now IBM's made a huge investment uh, I, I think they buy Macs for a lot of their employees. They trained a, a ton of their employees on Swift. Mm-hmm. Um, well, Apple had the big enterprise push, so they're partnering with them to get yeah. that going, too. And they basically have an enterprise app platform where you can kind of uh, build your own enterprise app in a box. Everybody's got one of those now. Well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you pay premium for it too, right? Yeah, um, that's IBM. You have to pay yeah. a premium. IBM, Salesforce has one too, and you pay per user per month at a fairly hefty price. Mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah. So I, I mean, I think it's good for the community that IBM's sharing solutions like this, and I, I think we'll see a lot more now that. That we have the Linux support. And I, I think educators are going to love it. Oh, yeah. It's 
going to be really easy just to even try out Swift this way. I mean, you're not going to get the big graphical interface or the uh, fun web server out of it, but you can do something nice with it. Yeah. I think that's about all the time we've got this week, guys. Do you want to go ahead and tell us where we can find you on the internet? Or Twitter, at least? You can find me at AJ Robinson. I'm Alex Argo. And I'm at Sam Corder. The podcast is at Shared Inst. And we have an email address, which you're welcome to send us any feedback with. Hate mail, good mail, whatever. It's a Shared Instance podcast at gmail.com. And that's about it. Thanks, guys. Argo, you got to say something funny. Not going to do it. <laughs>